When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, people? Welcome to the Hows and Drows podcast. Yes, we are back with a different name, same podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, from the Hows and Drows Timberwolves newsletter. And as usual, we're partnered up with Canis Hoopus to revamp and reimmerse ourselves in this Timberwolves podcast world. Today, we're going to be looking at some things we're excited about, some things we're nervous about. And some things we expect to see as the Timberwolves season kind of speeds closer and closer. To do that with me is an old friend of the podcast, the leader of the Canis Hoopers Wolfpack, Jack Borman. Jack, what is happening, my oh, man? Thank you for coming so, back on the pod. So good to see you, man. Oh, my goodness. Um, everything's been good here, man. Um, just uh, counting down the days until, until we get some real Timberwolves basketball and I don't have to theorize uh what what the northern heights the, the target centers um whatever whatever before kyle says it, the nickname is it, that i'm is, going yeah, with what is your what is your preference i don't know i just name? whatever that's, that's whatever important. kyle tells me it is is whatever it is um i, I think he's big on uh, target centers now so i think we're gonna go with target centers um all right all right we'll lock in target centers then for the podcast yeah so we'll, we'll have to see um but he, he's the uh he's the leader of the band on that <laughs> yeah, as I said, we're going to kind of do some some questions, I guess, predictions. There's not much else to talk about, as I said to you off air before the season. You know, we obviously had media day and we've had a week of training camp, but still we're, we're kind of in the weeds when it, when it comes to this team and, and what to expect. So we're going to do a little bit of projecting forward and some things that I guess we're excited to see or some things that we're worried about for the season, some players that we're worried about or some players that we're excited about. Um, we'll get straight into it. I the first thing I asked you was, you know, what do you think is going to be the most, I guess, exciting thing of the season? What what's the the part of this team that you're most excited about? Yeah, man. Um, so I I know that this was something that just like really intrigued me last year. Um, watching the Timberwolves was just the growth of Cat as a driver. Um, he really became ultimately the the second most efficient or the third most efficient depending on how you look at it um you know big man driver in the nba behind only Giannis, of course and if you want to classify pascal siakam as a big um cat probably ranked behind him too and so i'm really curious to see how that's gonna evolve um with gobert on the floor uh and and the thing with Cat is that, you know, hopefully he'd, he'd be covered by some smaller, smaller fours, um, you know, or, you know, 
bigger guys, I guess, that are that are pretty good in space. Um, you know, you you'd think like a, a like a Jonathan Isaac type guy or a Tobias Harris type guy or, or someone like that. Um, it's just a you know a much bigger body that they can slide their feet a little bit. Um, and so I'm just really curious to see if if Carl's going to have the space to drive because people are going to be helping on Rudy um, or, you know, if it's going to be a situation where, you know, Carl's just going to wait for the defense to get into rotation before before trying to attack off the dribble and stuff like that. Because we saw Cat make some really, really interesting, you know, wraparound passes. You know, he'd kind of jump underneath the basket and just fire, uh, you know, one-hand rockets to the, the opposite slot. Um, so I'm just really curious to see, you know, is that something that the cat's going to get away from um, and is going to look to, you know, try and post more guys up or um, just because he'd probably be guarded by smaller guys uh, or, you know, are we just going to see him kind of be relegated more to a shooter while Rudy's on the floor and then kind of play that, you know, top of the key position that he played, uh, you know, as a five man with, with someone like Anthony Edwards on the floor. Cause I think we're going to see the two of them on the floor a lot this year, uh, which is what we heard from Mike and Nori uh, in practice on Thursday. So, um, so I'm just really excited to see what cat's offensive game will look like uh, because it was really incredibly uh, diverse in, in terms of how he attacked last year and, and was arguably the league's most versatile score uh, last season. Yeah, it's a good point, and it's it it is it does bring up, I guess, it's almost a worry as well as an excitement for me. Is that what, how much of that diversity gets stripped away from Cat with Gobert on the floor? And, and I think it comes from not only Gobert being huge, and that's different to I know everyone will point to the Jared Vanderbilt point that they do play similar kind of games, Vanderbilt and Gobert, but Gobert is massive to begin with, and. He's also involved in the offense a lot more as a screener, uh, whereas Vando kind of lived in that dunker spot. Sometimes Vando would even come, you know, start in the corner. And because he's so athletic and so energetic, he could make, you know, slice cuts and 45 cuts um, to be that that dive man or that that rim running kind of, you know, cutter. Gobert's not going to do that. He's probably going to hang out more in the dunker spot. He is very smart in the dunker spot. He kind of moves around you know, in line with, with the driver to, to get out of their way and to shield the driver. I, I'm, I'm excited to see Towns driving and then Gobert coming in and just laying a, like a block, you know, on, on, on the, on the rim protector. And he does that a lot. It's almost like a, an off ball, illegal screen at the ring. Um, and it works. I've been watching, I've watched almost every single basket made by the jazz over the last few weeks of the whole season. And Gobert just gets in the way all the time, yeah, and in a good way. Sometimes that's a good, some yeah. Sometimes it's a bad thing where he's kind of in the way, but most of the time it's a good thing because he's in the way of the defender. And Towns will now be facing, I think, more one-on-one driving attempts at the ring. And yeah, in, that's really important. Being in the way is a little bit different when it's Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell. You know, two six-foot guards <laughs> yeah. versus you know a seven or a six-ten you know unicorn-type player. Um, and so I was at practice on Thursday and I asked Mike Nori pretty much exactly what I said I was excited about. I said, you know, Cat was one of the most efficient drivers last season, yada, yada. Um, you know, how do you think his driving game will evolve one way or the other with Gobert out there? And, and Micah said, 
you know, it's still going to be huge. And, and he said one thing he really likes about Rudy is that, you know, guys take the dunker spot as being disrespectful, um, you know, as like you're being relegated to the dunker spot, but that Rudy really sees the value in it and really loves being the guy to drive the value in the dunker spot. Um, and so... I love that. I love that quote. That's such a good... Because yeah. he, he liked... You can tell by watching that he enjoys the minutiae of the dunker spot, which is, it's a lot more, you know, expanded than just standing near the ring and being a fucking nuisance, you know, right, to guys who are right. trying to drive. Like he's, he, he lives there and kind of thrives in that, in that area. Yeah. And so, you know, I wasn't like directly quoting my Micah, just kind of dumbing it down a little bit. Um, you know, and he said that cat's going to have to rely a lot on, you know, making some shots early in the game so that he can, you know, attack closeouts and, and get guys up in the air and, and he feels really confident that what the two of those guys are on the floor, and then you don't even factor in, you know, how explosive Ant is off the dribble. And, you know, we haven't even seen what Jaden looks like, right? Um, you know, off the dribble mm-hmm. with his supposedly improved handle and explosiveness. So um, Micah, you know, basically just said there, there's going to be so many different guys that can attack the rim. Um, and, you know, ultimately – you know, if Cat's going to be able to make shots, everything's going to be open for him. The rim's going to be open all the time because guys are going to have to choose one way or the other. Do I want to step into the lane and try and defend Cat and make him make that pass or make that little floater, layup, dunk, whatever? Um, and, uh, you know, Mike could just praise Cat for being so unselfish and always being a willing passer. And, and like I said, praising Rudy for, for wanting and wanting to own that dunker spot. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just going to be a really interesting thing to see how they develop, how that chemistry develops with the two of them, especially since Cat um, has still not practiced with the team yet. Um, mm-hmm. He's been dealing with an illness. Um, I was at Media Day on Monday. He was not present for Media Day, obviously, um, and uh, and missed um, and missed all all week of practice. Um, I don't know if he was there today or not. It was closed to media, um, so. You know, we'll see. There's an open practice tomorrow, uh, Saturday here that I won't be at, but um, but we'll see if that that would be an interesting day for for Cat to kind of make his uh, make his debut, so to speak. Yeah, I think with Cat, we're probably likely to see. I think obviously probably less points per game, but if they're easier points per game, and that everything you know, there's not so many drives where he has to you know push off three defenders to get to the rim and. You know, there's not so much grinding and drafting for every bucket. And even on a Timberwolves team that was really good on offense last season and, you know, really diverse compared to other seasons that Towns has been in the system, he still had to draft for a lot of buckets because there just wasn't really a guy out there taking a lot of pressure off him. And, and Gobert's not an elite scorer by any means, but he takes pressure off guys just naturally and just by being out there and being huge and... I think that's going to be really important for Towns. I think if you're looking at it from a box store perspective or you don't watch the Timberwolves all that often, you might feel like he's had a little bit less of an offensive impact with Gobert out there and just with more, you know, with, with Ant going into his third season and probably getting a little bit more uh, time on the ball and, you know, more shots per game maybe, you might feel like Towns is doing less, doing less, but I expect him to be doing more and doing it more efficiently, you know, and and that's really uh, an indicator of the ceiling for this team. I think if you can get Towns 
to just do less work. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. On, and on defense, too, where he's probably going to have to do more work this season. It's it's a good balance to kind of yeah you know, take some of that load off him offensively. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me either if, you know, you start fucking around on NBA in the NBA stats portal and, like, you're looking at, okay, who are the true shooting percentage leaders among guys who are taking 12 shots a game? Like, it would not surprise me if Gobert is number one and, you know, Cat is, like, fourth or third and yeah. Steph is yeah. second and, and still averaging like 23 a game or something yeah exactly um you know and I think the other thing we're going to see with this team too just a uh, super quick is like I think it's totally going to vary night to night like the thing is is the the Wolves last year really had to establish Cat in every single game right uh, regardless mm-hmm. of who they're playing and this next year like I just don't think they're going to have to do that every single game obviously it's going to be a priority yes um but uh you know, it's it's just going to be kind of an ebb and flow thing based on the matchups, which is really cool that the Wolves have the personnel to do that. Yeah, I think so, and that and that I think ties into my the thing I'm excited about, which is I think we've kind of been discussing it already, is the offense, the offense with Gobert in it, and I, I just feel like I know I've said it multiple times already because I'm I'm so excited about it, but I just think that his size is still underrated. Like, he's fucking massive, man. Like, he, that I think that's seen as a hindrance sometimes on offense, but his ability to use that size to leverage his teammates into more advantageous positions, I think is easily his best skill from watching all those, those you know, baskets and stuff that I was talking about before from the Jazz last season. I just feel like he him being there creates so much it's going to turn this wolves offense into a buzzsaw man like i'm working on a video about it i know you wrote about it and i think the the phrase that you mentioned um which defines his dominance and i think he's a really good kind of way to put it is that he's just like an every play player um and like even when he's not in the action someone the big people don't want to leave him they don't they don't switch off him they don't help off him uh, he's a fantastic on-ball screener, as we know, and roll man, which is the obvious part of his game. But his off-ball screening, which is kind of what I'm working on for this video, is just immense. The, his pin-downs are impossible to get around. All of a sudden, you've got a guy, you know, curling around a pin-down who gets the pass. The helper has to come in and, you know, help on them. And then the helper's helping the helper. And all of a sudden, the whole defensive shell is, like, crumbled. Because Gobert set a pin down screen, the most, you know, probably the second most common screen in basketball. And just his size, and it, it really just, yeah, it crumbles everything for the defense. And then, you know, he's setting back screens on guys, and the same thing's happening. Helpers have to help, and helpers have to help the helper. And it's, uh, it's I don't think we have can fully understand it because we haven't seen it in Minnesota yet, but I, I think that when you know, the first preseason game, we're going to get 10 clips where the Wolves offense is like impossible to guard because Ruby Gobert set one off ball screen and everyone else <laughs> just kind of fell into line. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got, you've got a big closing out on Anthony Edwards because they had to switch and he's dusting them off a drive or you've got a small closing out on Carl Anthony Towns. And that leads into your point earlier that now Cat's driving on a, on a six foot three guy who's closing out to try and stop his jumper. And, all of a sudden, the Wolves are on 140 points and, 
you know, and there's six the minutes season. left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I just think it's just more than defense. It's it, yeah, it, I'm way more excited about Joe Bear's offense than his defense for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just a goddamn shame that Malik Beasley had to get traded. Uh, in order oh to bring him. man, uh, he <laughs> is so perfect for Joe Bear. Like Jordan Clarkson is a good kind of you know. Um, facsimile the way he moves up without yeah. the ball and Clarkson just feasted with Gobert. Yeah, dude. I uh I just I already know I'm gonna miss even starting on Tuesday night, just the all caps show me something bees or talk to me bees tweets. Um <laughs> I miss it already. And uh, I'm a known bees hater as well. Oh yeah. And I and yeah. I know he's gonna be he's gonna feel missed. Yeah, no. He uh yeah hopefully hopefully some time in Utah will will help him. But uh yeah dude like I think what I'm most excited for, like Gobert is an off-ball, off-ball screener, like isn't even necessarily for shooters. It's more for like, you know, curl, like just really curling hard around a screen and showing in in a sense that like, you know, you, you could have Jade in the corner, right? And he sets, um, no, Gobert sets a pin down screen and Jaden curls off of it. And then, you know, okay, Jaden could be wide open. He could not be. Um, and if he's not, then you can get right into, you know, just a wide pick and roll, uh, mm-hmm. you know, right in the slot there. And then, who, you know, who the hell knows what happens? Or, you know, you could then have Gobert just turn around and set a flare screen. You know, like you could have kind of a, an odd thing going where like Cat's setting a, a strong side ball screen, um, you know, for D'Lo. And Gobert's setting, you know, a strong side pin down for McDaniels. McDaniels curls. And then, you know, Gobert sets a flare screen for Cat or something like that. Um, like, there's just going to be so many variations that they can work off of just with that one specific thing. Um, and I think what's going to be really cool is just to see the way that the Wolves' offensive players evolve as cutters off of that. Just because I think that. Gobert can just totally bend and destroy a defense um, with his dives, with his screens, you know, whatever, whatever it is, just his sheer presence, you know, within 15 feet uh, of the basket. But everyone has, to, but everyone has to take advantage of that. You yeah, like it, it only works at its best when other guys see, every, you know, see the defenders helping to stop Rudy and make their own move, like you said, a cut, or even just, you know, like kind of spacing out from the corner to the top of the arc and, and finding a place to shoot from like that. That's what he does, but you have to be smart about it. That's, I think Edwards will have to get better at that. McDaniels is pretty good at that kind of stuff, kind of that, you know, intrinsic moving. But I think Edwards and D'Lo probably will have to, you know, find ways that that they can take advantage of how much space Joe Bear is going to give them. And this them. may sound odd and kind of fly in the face of common, like, logic, but I think D'Lo, honestly, is might be more valuable off the ball when Gobert is in the game than he could be on ball, solely for the sense that, like, the Wolves sneakily don't have a ton of really, really high-level spot-up shooting. Um like Jay, yeah, not even sneakily, like I think it's like kind of a, that's kind of a, a problem. wild card. Like Noel, Noel. I mean, Noel. Obviously, like you know me, like I'm the world's biggest Jaden or Jalen Noel fan. But like, um, you know, I mean, if he's not a, another guy who's going to be you know thirty eight, thirty nine percent spot up situations, like D'Lo is really going to have to to you know step up in that that regard. 
and he did really, really well in Golden State. You hope that that Ant is uh, is ready to take another step with with his on the ball duties. But um, yeah, man, I, I think that you know if some guys struggle to shoot the ball out of the gate, like that's going to be a really, really important swing skill for the Timberwolves. Is just how much D'Lo is willing to shoot and kind of float around the perimeter like he's done so well uh, over the course of his career and just how well he's going to be able to do it. And I think on that point, that ties into how well can Anthony Edwards run an offense, including playmaking. Because if if is going to be the guy off the ball, then Ant's going to be the guy probably on the ball. And we know what he can do on the ball when he's attacking for himself. But if you're going to, you're going to heap responsibility onto D'Angelo Russell to be an off-ball shooter, then you have to heap the same amount of responsibility on Anthony Edwards to find him in the spots that he's going to get inevitably with Gobert and with Towns out there setting off-ball screens as well. Like, he's not a great strainer, but he's still, you know, a big dude who right. knows how to set screens and has done it his whole life. So, it's Edwards, you know, flinging passes out of the pick-and-roll to the, to the corners, um, kind of, you know, running sets where he can leverage... Gobert's off-ball screens and make the right pass is something that Utah did really well. Like, obviously, Bogdanovich is very good at it. Joe Ingles was very good at it. Even Clarkson, who is the definition of a ball hog, was still pretty good at it. Like, But, you know, Edwards has a bit of that ball hog mentality, which can be awesome, and a lot of the times is awesome. In the but playoffs, it was in a pretty team fucking that, awesome. Yeah, but on a team where... There's so many weapons. He needs to be the one kind of pulling the trigger at, at times rather than the, the bullet itself. 100%. 100%. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And and I, I think, like, you know, it, it really will be interesting, interesting to see, like, how much the game has slowed down for Ant in year three. You'd mm-hmm. think that a lot of the reads on the floor are going to be so much easier just because there's so many threats uh, on the floor with Ant at the same time. And even, you know, if they're not high-level threats, it's just – you know, like a Torian Prince or a Kyle Anderson, they're, they're obviously not guys that like the defense is going to lose sleep about the night before, but really smart veteran players that know where to be, know how to play off of guys and, and should hopefully make Ant's life easy, no matter who he's sharing the floor out there with. So. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some of the things we are worried about and then we'll, we'll, we'll evolve from there. All right, we are back, and now I want to talk about some things that we are worried about for the season. We've kind of, you know, blasted the optimism out the speakers at the moment, but how about some some pessimism? And I think I'll start here. I'm worried about what happens to the defense when Jaden McDaniels either is in foul trouble or, you know, he's getting cooked, which doesn't happen very often, but it does happen to every great perimeter defender. Uh, I'm worried that... The narrative that is, you know, the the Timberwolves will be better than the Jazz on defense or that Joe Bear will have to do less on defense because they have much better perimeter defenders. I'm worried that that might start to deteriorate as the season wears on because I'm worried about Anthony Edwards having to be this team's second best perimeter defender for 82 games. I'm worried about what happens when they hunt, you know, on-ball matchups that aren't McDaniels when they hunt D'Lo or they hunt Cat like... 
I know you've got Kyle Anderson in there, who I think is great on ball and will play a lot of minutes. Um, but the cupboards are bare compared to last season. Like, Pat Bev, obviously a great perimeter defender. Jared Vanderbilt, a great perimeter defender. And those two took a lot of heat off McDaniels, especially when McDaniels was really in a funk for fouling-wise, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to get to a point where Rudy is having to clean up all these messes again because that's what kind of led to the downfall, I think, of him in Utah. Not the downfall, but the the issues and the messiness that, that arise arose in Utah. And I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I think, you know, spoiler alert, I think the Wolves are going to be really, really good. So I don't foresee this becoming like this overarching problem that destroys the season. But I do think that it's a, a worry. It's the first thing I think of, uh, probably along with the three-point shooting, that worries me is, is just what happens when McDaniels isn't out there or isn't having a, a great night defensively. When you sent me the list of, of things for, for me to prepare for this, this was the first one that I answered, even though it's second sequentially. I wrote, <laughs> one thing I'm worried about, Anthony Edwards' buy-in on defense. Yeah. You know, Anthony Edwards yesterday, um, again, this was a question that I asked Ant uh, yesterday at practice. And, you know, basically my question to him was, you know, do you think that you'll take more responsibility for making sure that the, the intensity level and the, you know, overall efficacy level of, of the defense is going to drop without uh, without Pat Bev and Bando. And he said, and I quote, I still talk to him every day. So PB gives me all the tips I need. I'm going to take them and run with them and try and instill them in my guys. So he didn't really, he kind of, I don't, I don't want to say dodge a question, but like he, he's he a, did, he's an expert at dodging a question by just saying just a really vibing, fun you know? answer. Like, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. He's just all vibes. No answer. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, for for reference, like Jace asked to follow up, like, is Pat Bev going to hound you in the preseason? And goes, quote, I don't know, man. I ain't worried about him. If that's what you was wondering, he should be worried about me. And <laughs> like, it's just it, man. Like, um, but uh, yeah, dude, like we've all seen the Luca clip. You know, we've all watched the Luca clip about a hundred times of, of them playing in like March or April or whatever it was down in Dallas. And Ant just absolutely destroys Luca for like 18 seconds of a, of a possession. Um, and it's just going to be like, how much of that are we going to see every night? Um, Ant said that, um, you know, another question that I asked Ant was he was talking a lot about how he feels more explosive. He feels healthier. He cut out fried foods um, this summer, at least during the week. And, um, you know, and I said, okay, so like, obviously you had this knee injury last year is, um, you know, is that something that you think is going to be a problem now after, you know, having such a laborious, intense summer and, and all that. And he said, um, he basically said no, like that he did a lot of leg workouts. So his hamstrings could be stronger. Um, you know, everything that goes into his knee could be stronger. And so hopefully that, that we'll see some more like lateral quickness, but, for Ant, it's it's really. I think it's between the ears. Yeah, though. for it's sure. Not, like I don't I think it's say, anything like, to do with physicality. It's just a matter of how much he wants to do it. And he he said like he's going to be guarding the best player most nights. Like that was something that Ant said. You know, and the way that he said it made it sound like it was something that 
you know, Finch and the coaching staff has told him. Like, it, it wasn't just a, like, oh, I want the guy. And it said, I'm going to be guarding, you know, the best yeah. player um, and every every team. So, so what he said was, uh, basically, he was asked, like, are you ticked you weren't all defense last year? He said, no, nah, I didn't do that much last year every game. But this year, I should be, like, on the best player the majority of the time. So, if I don't make an all-defensive team this year, I'll be salty. So, again, it's framed towards, like, an award and whatever. But, like, if he wants to buy in on defense for 60 nights a year and then every night in the playoffs, uh, That's fine. they're going to be great. But I just think that yeah. number is going to be closer to 30 than, than 60. <laughs> yeah. And too many teams have guys, have multiple guys who can punish you. And, and Jaden McDaniels will, I think... It's going to be quickly, you know, head of the scouting report against Minnesota that whoever's guarding Jaden McDaniels, if you can spare a possession or two or 10 or 15 where McDaniels' McDaniels's opponent doesn't touch the ball or can be used as a decoy, that's going to be really important because if you can just put Anthony Edwards in actions and like action after action, like screen, re-screen, you know, make him fight through four screens in a possession. Make him stay attached to the hip of a guy who can score at all three levels and who can make plays off the dribble for others. That's that's a, a much different proposition to being the guy who who comes and plays help defense and as a low man and who can kind of prowl for, for off-ball steals and for transition opportunities. Like, Anthony Edwards, I think, really thrived in that role last season where if you do what you are supposed to do, you might get a steal and a dunk. Now it's like if you do what you're supposed to do, you might still get a mid-range shot, you know, hit on your head. Like it's, it, you might not get that instant gratification for your on-ball defense, but in the big scheme and what it's going to do over 100 possessions a night or 75 possessions a night and what it's going to do for your teammates, what it's going to do for Gobert who doesn't have to clean up all the messes and for McDaniels who doesn't have to spend all night trying to switch, you know, onto on some more favorable matchups for the team. It's it's massive. And like you said, I'm I'm worried that he doesn't have the maturity more than anything, you know, because he is a young guy and and these things do come with time and he's also expending a lot of energy being a twenty five and night scorer. So I don't think it's a huge knock on Ant to say he might not just have the wherewithal to to put a hundred percent on into both ends on every possession because not a lot of players do, but you know, I think this team seriously has, you know, championship or Western Conference finals uh, aspirations. And you need two great perimeter defenders in your starting five if you're going to reach that level. And uh, right now they have one and an every night question mark, probably. Yeah, 100%. And I think, too, you know, Ant talked about, too, how he thinks he's going to be able to go for more steers this year, knowing that he has Gobert behind him, which I guess is fine. Um, you know, you'd expect that, but I think it'll be one of the more interesting storylines of the season to start out is whether or not, uh, you know, we're going to see Ant take that, that on ball primary matchup, um, or if we're going to see that be Jaden McDaniels. Um, I don't see why it wouldn't be McDaniels. Like if you, if you have the preference, it's going to be McDaniels. I feel like, I don't know, like, I don't really see the logic behind Finch. I mean, apart, unless it's, I mean, maybe the first eight games where they play, OKC and Spurs and, you know, a bunch of teams they should beat easily. Maybe that's the time to give Ant a free reign at, 
I don't even know who is there, Josh Diddy or Lou Dort or someone, you know, like that's that's the time where you can just let him run wild as the best point of attack defender. But when it comes to Luka or Kawhi, well, Clippers are a hard one because they have two guys, which is the problem. But, you know, if it comes to Luka is the prime example where they have one great ball handler. I don't think you'll see Ant guarding Luka from the first tip. I don't know. Luka is like one where I would rather have Ant just because he's so physical. Um but, but yeah, Luca yeah, like is this pudgy, pudgy yeah. little dude who pushes guys around. Yeah, he's insane. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I, I I really am just going to be fascinated to see can Ant have a dominant two way game, somewhat consistently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't have to be every night. It just has to be when it matters most, and it can't be it can't be every second night. It needs to be, you know. Three nights I a week, it needs to, like four nights a week. I think the best way to describe it is it needs to happen on the nights where that's what a winning recipe calls for. Like mm-hmm. you could play a team that yeah, well isn't put. as you know perimeter oriented in terms of you know they don't have a ton of really really good guards, but they're yeah. you know better in the front court, for instance. Like if like if they're playing like Miami. For instance, like my, and it's not just because this is the first game of the preseason, but you know, like I think you could be totally fine just like having Ant like half-ass guard Tyler Hero and be fine, you know, or you know, if you're playing, I don't know, like the Suns and have Ant guard Chris Paul, yeah. But you can't have him guard Jalen Brown, right? While you know, like, or I, Paul George, for sure. Like those teams that have two dominant when wings. When you're playing those teams that are really perimeter oriented in terms of like how they get their points and their scoring, um, or I shouldn't even say perimeter. I should just say like guard oriented. Um, yeah, like that. Or uh, Boston is a great one. You know, a team like. I don't know, like an in Indiana with Halliburton and Buddy Heald or uh, Portland or, you know, I don't know, like New Orleans would be an interesting one too to think about. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, well, he, like, he's going to have to guard CJ or Ingram. Right. Like, that's, that's kind of an they're, yeah. they're your options. So, you know, you, you have to win. Like, you have to at least, you can't get dominated. CJ can't score 45. You know, on on end, like those nights can't happen because they just they put too much pressure on McDaniel's. They put too much pressure on Rudy and Cat and everyone else who has to start trying to clean up mistakes. And most of those guys aren't guys who can clean up mistakes. You For know, sure. Rudy's the only one who's who's good at that. So, yeah. What what's your was that your worry as well? Yeah, was that kind of you know? Would we tie into? Yep. It? All right. Well, let's let's keep it moving then. What player? specific you know player not team are you most excited about this season or are you do you think will exceed expectations it's a player who when they first signed here i didn't like it at all and that's kyle anderson um you didn't like the kyle anderson you might be the only person i've ever heard say that you want to know why because every single time the grizzlies like during the grizzlies series kyle anderson came in i was like hell yeah kyle anderson's in the game like the wolves like (laughs) i his plus minus kyle anderson and steven adams which felt like the wolves were for sure like his plus minus in that series had to be like minus like 40 or worse 
Um, yeah. Unless he was like on the floor for some of those huge, huge runs in game, you know, three or game five. Um, but yeah, I mean, my thing with Kyle Anderson is I think he's such a unique offensive player that fits so well with what the Wolves want to do in the sense that the Wolves want to play free and want to play this unscripted style of basketball where everybody's just playing off of each other and it's really unselfish and guys are moving with and without the basketball, trying to make it easier on each other. And and this is something that Anderson talked about. Like he could see and tell that that was how the Wolves like to play and that Finch trusted all of his guys to go out and make plays. And that was something that really enticed him about coming to Minnesota. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, more of their expectations lie with Kyle Anderson on the defensive end, which I think is great. I think Kyle Anderson could still have a massive role. And I still think the Wolves could get away with potentially rolling out a five out there that has like Anderson, D'Lo, Ant, Cat and Gobert and being fine because Anderson can take guys off the dribble. He can play in the post. He can run the offense. Um, he can play in screen and roll, both as the, you know, uh, both as a ball handler and as a screener. Um, you know, really good in Chicago actions. Uh, you know, faking handoffs and going all that type of stuff. So I think he's just going to play such a big offensive role, especially in the playoffs, given all of his background with you know playing for Pop and then you know playing off of guys like Desmond Bain and John Morant and. And just, you know, having a lot of plays where, you know, the defense is so loaded up on trying to stop Cat, trying to stop Ant, um, that there's just going to be plenty of times where he can just kind of pick his spots, attack off the dribble, and, and get a layup just to relieve some pressure off of those guys in high leverage moments um, that I think is going to be really cool. And I think we'll see Kyle Anderson play, you know, all five different positions uh, at least offensively this season, which uh, which is something that I'm kind of excited to see play out um, just because I think he, you could make an argument that Kyle Anderson could be their fifth or sixth most important player come playoff time. And I think for sure, you know, and I, I think that's, that's a pretty exciting proposition given his background and, you know, given who, who the five guys above him are. You you want to you you want to go back to what we were speaking bef- about before, and if you want to use D'Angelo Russell as an off-ball shooter, probably the best way to do it is to take Jaden McDaniel's out of the lineup and replace him with Kyle Anderson. And now you've got Kyle Anderson as as your ball handler, and you don't have to put that responsibility on Anthony Edwards because he's a legitimate point guard-ish player. Like he he can run an offense and that if he can run an offense, now you've got multiple ball handlers who are inclined to playmaking along with Russell. So um, I, I think I fully agree with your point that that Kyle Anderson is a guy. I, I almost had him out of this overachieved bracket, but I think that's just because in my head, I'm so confident that he's going to be really good and exactly yeah. what they need on both ends. Like he's just like the perfect blue guy and, I, and knows his knows his role which is just so important on a team like and this. i think it could be more like fan expectations too like what does the general public think yeah. is going to happen and i think you know I, I just think kyle anderson's offensive role is going to be more important than people anticipate it being yeah he's gonna he's going to be a guy who immediately becomes a fan favorite yeah like, and i you know he's going to and just him speaking in media too like just totally gets it and uh, yeah, 
you know, one of the things that, that I asked him uh, on, on Thursday, he was the third guy that was available. So it was, it was Micah, Ant, and Kyle. And, uh, you know, the Timberwolves last year, you know, really came out of the gates with this confidence and swagger and, uh, you know, kind of attitude that they were better than everybody else. And they were going to hit you in the face and, you know, just kind of play super aggressively on both ends of the floor. And uh, Anderson that said that that was kind of attractive in that, like, it kind of had a similar Memphis type edge in that, like, um, and just that, like, you know, they, they, they really played together and believed in one another. And, and as they continued to play better, um, it only came out more and more and more. And so I asked him kind of how, how is that swag looked in, in camp? And, uh, you know, he, he said that it was, it was something that he could really feel and that, you know, a lot of different guys, uh, you know, a lot of different guys are talking shit in practice. Um, and, uh, you know, that the, they're, you know, just being really loud and energetic and cheering for one another. And, uh, and that that's something that's just going to be really important for, for this team to rely on because they don't have a Patrick Beverly anymore. They don't have a Jared Vanderbilt anymore. Um, and you don't have that rah-rah yeah. anymore, but you have like this old head. I think Tori and Prince is in there too, where it's like, it's like this sage kind of old dude who, and old is a bit rude because neither of them are actually old, but I mean, I think I'm the same age almost as Tori and Prince, so I shouldn't be calling him old. But, um, you know, it's it kind of, it's not this, I don't think they're going to be the team that punches you in the mouth anymore, but they might be the team that like beats you to death with body blows. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's fun. Like, I think the energy is going to be huge. Like, you know, how the wool, I mean, Target Center was loud as hell last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. where, you know, a body blow, you know, for instance, could be way more impactful just because of the crowd energy that comes as a result of this it. This team just wants to see like punches thrown. They don't care if it's you yeah. know, in the mouth or in the body. Like this team was starved of punches at all. For sure. This fan base, I should say. And what say. was funny was, so Jace again piggybacked off my question uh, at the end of the interview, kind of like he did with Ant, um, kind of once business was, was concluded, I guess, if you will. And Jace is great at, at these types <laughs> of questions. So he goes... More swagger, Minnesota, Memphis, and Kyle Anderson just starts that has his huge smile and immediately just goes Minnesota, baby, yes sir, Minnesota, and everybody was just kind of talking afterwards, saying like, "Oh man, I hope that doesn't get clipped for his sake." Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm I'm super excited. Oh, John Morant would have made at least eight <laughs> tweets about that. Yeah, I'm still not over him making up that that thing about he and Ant not having an embrace in the, in the, that was, yeah, yeah. that was just terrible. But, uh, yeah, man, super excited to, to see Kyle Anderson. Uh, what, what did, what did you have for, for that one? Uh, so I have a guy who I think is probably the 10th man on most people's, you know, depth chart. And that's Jordan McLaughlin, man, like pace, pace, baby. That is like, I, I think you have, you know, you know exactly what you need on a team that has, D'Angelo Russell, Kyle Anderson, who's literally fucking named Slow-Mo, and even <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns and Ant, who are both kind of more methodical, is some pace, man. Like, the Wolves were in transition 2.7% more often 
when McLaughlin, when McLaughlin was on the floor last season, which is 95th percentile, and they scored 8.5 points per 100 uh, transition, transition plays more with him on the floor, and that's 83rd percentile. Like, he just plays with pace, and not even just transition. Like, those are transition numbers, but every pick and roll is done with pace. Every possession is is you know he's at the three point line with 18 on the clock or or 21 on the clock um every pass is quick and you know zipping around the perimeter the ball just hops when he's when he's on the floor and i use Delo and and Slomo and Catnan as examples not because they they are guys who who ruin pace or you can't play with pace with but i think McLaughlin as a backup point guard as a guy who's going to play say 15 to 17 minutes a night max is is the perfect sea change from this team that is is kind of built to wear teams down with methodical play and with with half court possessions um all of a sudden you get you get McLaughlin out there with Ant or you get McLaughlin out there with Jalen Noel who can who can move in transition and who loves to attack off the dribble um I just think that I just I think there's no way if we're talking about backup point guard position I think there's no way that Austin Rivers or Bryn Forbes or any of those players take his position this season. Chris Finch loves him. We know oh, Chris 100%. Finch loves. I think he's going to have a role. The whole he's year. like Chris Finch's brain in a little bearded <laughs> bald man. You know, like he he is the guy that does. He's not the straw that stirs the drink because he's not. He is as the important. Drink. And he's he's not, the straw. He is the drink. The drink. He, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like he is just he he's I think he's such an important piece to the puzzle, especially the bench puzzle, and a, a real you know cable tie for the whole for the whole team that kind of keeps things together and also uh, introduces a new element to the team. And it's just that I think it's something they don't have. And on a team that is aspiring to win a lot of games, having one player that does something that no one else does, even if it's just run fast or you know like play with with that upbeat energy i think it's it's really important and i i think it's exceeding expectations because i believe a lot of people might think that maybe austin rivers takes that spot at some point or maybe you know bryn forbes slots in as a shooter instead of a, a pure point guard but i think Jordan mclaughlin will will be a staple of the rotation in every game and play i completely agree and he's not scared of a damn thing I mean, he came in. And he uh, he plays with that chip on his shoulder. He knows yeah. that he could lose his his spot at any time. For sure. And last year, like in the playoffs, I was so impressed with Jordan McLaughlin. I mean, it's, Jordan McLaughlin was good enough to be an impactful rotation player, even when his three pointers weren't falling. But once he started mm-hmm. to make some of those open threes in the playoffs, like I don't know if you want to look it up really quick what he shot from from three in the playoffs man but it felt like every single time he was wide open he just had zero hesitation to shoot a three and it felt like more often than not that it went in um yeah and that really unlocked a different element of the wolves offense just because he's so quick getting downhill and does such a good job of of creating corner threes for guys like i don't know that you know in terms of like a per minute basis i don't think anybody in the league creates more corner threes than Jordan McLaughlin. And if there are people that do, it's got to be a very, very, like he's got to be in the 98th percentile minimum uh, in that, yeah. which is which is great. And it's going to be a huge point of emphasis for the Timberwolves this year, just because, you know, with having Gobert and the dunker being able to uh, kind of collapse the defense and suck guys in from the corners, um that's going to be a really important part of the floor for the Timberwolves, and Jordan McLaughlin does an excellent job of finding it. 
Um, and he competes his tail off defensively too. So uh, he, he probably, I mean, you could make an argument that he could be the seventh man of this team. Yeah, you know, it would not. Surprise, I think Chris would, Finch probably would, has that argument with himself. It would not surprise me if we saw Kyle Anderson play like 25, 26 minutes a game, and you saw Jordan McLaughlin play 22, 23. I mean, you said 16, 17 max, but, you know, D'Lo's versatile enough in terms of how he can impact a game offensively where you can play the two of them together. I mean, you have the greatest play of all time, the D'Lo, McLaughlin, UCLA cut. Um, yeah. that's yeah. just like cash money every single time. Um, so dude, I, he's just, uh, I was on the fence between McLaughlin and Anderson and I ended up going with Anderson. Um, but man, I mean, what's there not to like about, about J Mac, dude? He, uh, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Going, going back to those playoff stats. So he played in five games. I'll give you the whole, the tale of the tape Let's here. Let's do it. He played in five games, Okay. both of the wins and three of the losses, obviously. He played 83 minutes. I think he started the... I don't think he played in the first game, or he might have played in the first game and not the second. He was in and out of the rotation kind of at the start of the playoff series. So he played 83 minutes. He shot 12 of 17 from the floor. So 70.6%. He shot... Yeah, he shot only shot seven threes and made four of them, which it felt like more than I think he might have hit three of them in one game. Yeah, it def- yeah. Um he he hit four free throws, uh three of four free throws, so didn't get to the line, had seventeen assists in his eighty three minutes and <laughs> two turn and two turnovers. <laughs> so he had a not what what's that, like an eight point five to one turnover ratio. And it's like eight point five um, assists for thirty six too. And he's playing yeah, with bench guys had, too, which is insane. He had five steals, five personal fouls. He had the second highest plus minus for the series. Um, you know, apart from Munro and Cody and Noel, who are all above on a him, per game they all basis, played one, one game. Yeah. yeah. So D'Angelo Russell, uh, Jaden McDaniels is the only player who was a positive for the series, which is pretty crazy. Plus nineteen. Wow. For the series, okay, McDaniels, Mister Ten of Twenty-Three. Yeah, and then surprisingly, probably to to some and to me, the second second and third on that list is D'Angelo Russell and Jordan McLaughlin at minus four for the series. That doesn't surprise me. So, and then it kind of you know gets pretty nasty from there. It ends with Malik Beasley, who was minus forty four for the series. You like? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's a tangent. But McLaughlin is, I think, like the archetypical backup point guard who's really good but you just have to watch him <laughs> you know if you don't watch him you're just like who's this five foot eleven dude who's you know can't really shoot that well but when you do watch him you understand why chris finch a great nba coach adores him because he he does winning things kind of constantly and i think he'll just be in the rotation all season because of it yeah dude i don't know what else there is to say besides that dude is awesome yeah all right so who who do you think will underachieve? That this was really hard for me. Who who do you think will under underachieve this season or may underachieve? Uh, put the gun away. Stop oh, stop no. waving it and pointing it at me. <laughs> Please. I'm nervous. Anthony Edwards. Yeah, I thought it might be and I mean this I I teetered between probably five or six players in this because anyone could and Anthony Edwards is definitely one that was on that list. For sure. And my thing with Ant is I think that playing at the level was such 
a good way of forcing those guys to be engaged defensively in D'Lo and Ant and McDaniels, um, really all the perimeter players. Um, and, I mean, and Cat too. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've just got serious concerns about what might happen to some of his and, and D'Lo's defensive habits playing drop on the perimeter with Gobert there. You know, I really don't want mm-hmm. it to become this – you know, Portland defense that you know we saw with with Vanderpool with those Blazers teams that made the playoffs where it was just instead of it kind of being more like, you know, getting a guy to to the elbow, right? And then making life really, really difficult for him there, it was more of just like a funneling him into the paint. And that's really yeah. not funneling what... into Hassan Whiteside. You know, was the guy who was all you know Yusuf Nurkic, which isn't Gobert, but it's not the right way to play. Right. I think you can steer guys into the right parts of the floor where the defense is more effective, right? Because then you can, you know, then you can sag off the you can sag off the the slot there. You can, um, you know, you can lift from the corner. All different types of things. Um, but man, I, I, I'm just a little worried about what might happen to some of his defensive habits, um, you know, a la Donovan Mitchell uh, with, with Gobert back there. And so that's why I'm excited that a lot of Ant's minutes are going to be paired with Cat because I think that they're going to be, well, according to Mike Inouye, they're going to be playing up at the level more when Cat's in the game as the five. Um, and uh, so if they can do that, you know, I, I, I think that'll be good. But um Again, this is more about the defensive side of the ball rather than the offensive side of the ball. Like, I think Ant's gonna gonna get to that twenty five points per game mark. Um, well, that's what I was but, gonna ask: is how worried are you worried at all about kind of him disengaging when the inevitable kind of D'Lo go back pick and rolls or or just cat cat possessions where it's all kind of funneled towards cat as a scorer? Like, can Ant stay effective because he could be the best cutter in the league if he tried? For sure, like, and he's I, literally the most explosive athlete in the NBA probably, I guess I but think will he? I'm a little worried about a sense of complacency. And again, it has nothing to do with Ant's personality, has nothing to do with his background, none of it. It's mainly just like, I think a lot of Timberwolves players expect that their offense is going to create so many mismatches that they're not going to have to collectively work as hard when they don't have the ball. Like I have the same worry about Cat too. Mm-hmm. Like, is yeah, like same. when that pick and roll action is going on, like is Cat gonna, you know, really trying to be fly around, fly around, cut off of that, cut from the corners, um, play as an off ball shooter, know, almost like a Malik break. Beasley if he was really tall. Yeah, it's just guys doing stuff that they're not used to doing, right? Because we didn't see a whole lot yeah. of Cat and D'Lo pick and roll last year. We didn't. We saw a good amount of of D'Lo and Vando pick and roll, but the way that that impacts the offensive game I think is just so much different and there's going to be so many opportunities for Ant to go and take them via cutting or you know hunting space without the basketball where I think you know I think Ant's still going to be very good again I think Ant's going to probably average something in the neighborhood of like 25 5 and 5 but I mean, when he has the ball he's going to be really good and he's going to have the ball a lot still like he's Anthony Edwards they all know that He's a perimeter threat as a player, and they will defer to him. But like you lose, if you lose ten percent of your offensive potential by not 
doing the right things off the ball. Like you said, hunting space, I think, is just such a great phrase because like, if Ant hunted space all game, that 25 would be 29. And I think that's kind of where my underperforming, I guess, uh, comes into play is like, I think there's going to be so many games that we'll rewatch, right? Like we, a lot of people now have Instat or, or whatever, whatever it is to be able to go back and watch like all the offensive actions of the game. And uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to do that a lot and see a lot of clips where it's just like, ah, ant, like, dude. Like that was just, just move into that, that space right or, you know, cut you know, harder. It's just yeah, like two yeah. easy points ready for the taking where he could have 24 points, but okay, he should have had 32 or 33. Um, yeah. Things like that, I guess. Um, or maybe the, yeah. the stats might not reflect them necessarily. Um, like 24 points still looks great in a box score, but, um, you know, but just contextualizing it with missed opportunities, I guess. Again, Still incredibly high on Anthony Edwards as a basketball player. I think he already is one of the top 10, top seven guys you'd most want to have in a playoff series at 21 years old, which is absolutely insane. Um, I mean, he was one of the best five or six players in the entire playoffs last year. Like, is that an outrageous statement? maybe seven. No, I don't think like, so. Don't it's think so. insane. Um, so great player, incredible guy. It's just more, it has more to do with like over the course of the regular season than, uh, than the playoffs. I'm not concerned about the playoffs at all. Like I think he's locked in. No, I think he'll probably start yeah. to do those things in the playoffs because it's a lot easier to do it against the Clippers in a, and, in a second round than it is against Sacramento in, in January. And, and I think what's tough too, and we were talking about this before we went live, is like the Timberwolves have the easiest first 10 games of their schedule in the entire league, and it's not even really close. Um, and so I, you, sometimes you just worry like, okay, we're 8-0. So this must be okay. like doing this must be okay. Yeah, and he's so young that that's a thing that takes you know it probably takes starting eight and zero and then losing in the in the first round you know to to really give you the 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 grounding that you need to be like all right like we were cruising when we shouldn't have been cruising and 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 it cost us so I mean it's um yeah it's one of those things that maybe time it takes time to realize those things and you can't just do it from from day one uh let's take a quick break another quick break and then we'll come back and we'll do some some i'll i'll give you my um you know the guy i'm worried about after this break and then we will do some projections some actual win total projections All right, moving on to my the guy I'm worried about. Again, I found this really hard. I don't know if that is like, you know, unbridled optimism because normally I don't find it that hard to nitpick a, a Timberwolves roster. But, and again, put your gun away now because uh, <laughs> this seems like revenge. Um, but I think it's Jalen Noel. And, I don't, and again, it's not, it's more of a context thing because... I think Jalen Noel is going to have a really good season. I do believe that he will take that microwave scorer, you know, sixth man or seventh man role and cement himself in it. But I think if if I'm looking, if I'm kind of pushing the the fence for weak links, then his is the one that stands out to me as the the most fragile. Even if it doesn't end up bending or breaking, it it just seems like 
the one that is most likely to purely because he's never been in that role for 80 games or for 30 games in his career and his game is so geared towards like this isolation kind of you know almost street ball type setup that I'm unsure whether for long periods for playoff series for big games against you know the Suns in late April where where they might be the first seed and the Wolves might be the second seed like those games does Jalen Noel have the discipline does he have the defense does he have the playmaking does he have the actual size you know on the floor to be a guy who can play 20 minutes a yes. night and maybe that just means he's only a <laughs> maybe that just means he's only a guy who plays 14 minutes a night in those games and you give the other minutes to Anthony Edwards or to D'Lo or Jade McDaniels and, and that's that would be fine because those guys are really good players and that still means that Noel is you know contributing to the to the roster but like I said I'm I if I was he- if I was pushing my money into one side of the pot it would be that Jalen Noel will succeed but I can see the other side where he doesn't and I also don't think that Chris Finch Although he has spent the entire, you know, the entire summer blowing smoke up Noel's ass, like I don't, I don't know that. Pause, pause, pause. That was before the go. That was before the Gobert trade. Right. Well, that's what I don't think. I think, and, and that was almost shows more us out that of, he doesn't trust him. That was almost I, like you could take it a few different ways, but you could almost say that that was out of necessity. Because after the Gobert trade, yeah, like, well, who was on the roster? Like he was basically yeah. saying, you know, this guy's had a great preseason, um, or not preseason, just like offseason working out, um, which is great. But like, what's crazy is that it didn't feel like this last season at all. But Jalen Noel played more minutes than Jordan McLaughlin did. They played in the exact. Yeah. Same, he had long. Played, he had long stretches in the rotation. They played in the exact same amount of number of games. Sixty-two. Noel averaged fifteen point seven minutes a game, and McLaughlin averaged fourteen point five. So, but then Noel played eleven minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. And that, that's what I mean. I don't think I don't. I think that Chris Finch will start the season with as much trust as he can put into Jalen Noel, and all the hope in the world that Jalen Noel becomes consistently what we believe he can be, which is that scorer off the bench. But I also think that it's a flimsy kind of, you know, balance board there of trust between the two. And that at any point, Austin Rivers, if if Jalen Noel is a reason why Minnesota are giving up six extra points a night off the bench or the shot isn't there, uh, I think he will say Austin Rivers take his place in the rotation. I just don't, I don't think he's ever had, Finch has ever had, the trust in Noel like he does with some of the other younger guys, and maybe that's warranted, but I, I'm I'm worried because I do want Noel to be in... I, I want him to succeed in that role, right. but I'm worried that a bad stretch of games, he won't have the same... Um, you yeah, know, and I think that's totally... Tickets. He doesn't have those tickets in the bank I, that, that other guys do. I think that's do. totally fair. That's a great way of putting it. In that, like, too, with Noel, I mean, with Jalen, I think, too, he's just so much more than a scorer offensively. Like, yeah, he only averaged 2.1 assists a game, but for a guy who, you know, is an on-the-ball creation guy, you know, he does such a such a good job of making the right read when he has the ball. Um, and that's just something that you so rarely see for a guy to do that consistently well um, that young, you know? 
and he's a guy who's had the ball in his hands his whole life and, and he he really i think that's striking when you watch him play and that does mean playmaking it's not high level playmaking but like dump off passes kicks to the corner you know reading the help the help defense he is good at that and that kind of allows him to be a pick and roll threat not just as a scorer yeah and like Jalen Noel, again, this is per cleaning the glass, his first three years in the league, here here are the percentiles that he ranked in terms of turnover percentage. So amount of possessions where he's, you know, using the ball and turns it over. Four, Keeping in mind that he has the ball a lot when he's on the floor. Correct. 4.9% is first year. That was in the 100th percentile among guards or combos. 87th percentile year two and last year 94th percentile he turned it over less than seven percent of the time that he actively used the ball in a possession which is incredible um and then when you look at too like you look at his assist to usage so you know his assist rate to his usage rate so basically how often did a guy get assists relative to you know him being used offensively was in the 54th percentile, which basically means like this guy was more of a bucket getter than a playmaker, but you know, still graded out pretty average in terms of being able to stay balanced to those two, even though we've always seen him as this go get a bucket guy, which is great. Like he was in the 92nd percentile last year in terms of points per 100 shot attempts when you include free throws three-pointers, two-pointers, the whole shebang, which is great. Um, He's just a super efficient offensive player, both as a playmaker and as a scorer. It's not just as a scorer. And I think that if if he can play the team concept defensively well enough, like, yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. And the thing with Jalen is he knows that that's what it's going to come down to. He has no concern about his offensive abilities or how he'll fit here or – any of that. Like, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a really important guy to play alongside Gobert. He's not going to be a high wall concept guy in the sense that, you know, um, he's not flying around all, all the time everywhere. You know, he went to Washington, you know, where they play that zone all the time, that really aggressive trapping zone. But that's just not great in terms of like getting acclimated to a zone or, or to a, a drop concept. And, I'm really interested to see how he guards guys in the corners and drop to see like, can he lift out of the corner when he's supposed to like, can he help and tag when he needs to? I know the Mike and Nori said, you know, Dane asked a great question on Thursday about that. Nori said that, you know, they're not going to, they're going to try to tag a little bit less and, and just focus on containing the ball and not needing, you know, not needing to have so much rotation and help with guys dying on ball screens. Um, and so if Noel can... And I think that's his biggest problem dying is dying on ball, on ball screens. Yeah, so I, I, it's not effort. It's certainly not effort. He, yeah. all, and he, Like you said, he knows that he needs to play good defense, so he tries. But it's hard, man. He's like six foot three. He's not... You know, he'd be, what, 220 pounds? No, 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 um, no, 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 no. Like one... Not like even, you reckon. Well, there you go. That's kind of, you know, cement, you know, hammers home that point even more is that, like... It's just hard physically to compete when he has to guard two guards. He doesn't get to guard 200, 200 point guards pounds. like Jordan McLaughlin, 200 pounds. So he doesn't get to guard point guards like McLaughlin does. He doesn't have the quick hands and stuff like McLaughlin. He has to play defense upright and try and, you know, stay in front of guys. And that's just physically hard. Yeah. And it's it's an issue, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll be really interested to see, like, if we see lineups where we have 
uh, Noel out there, right, as a bench lineup, and McLaughlin's your point guard, right? So McLaughlin's going to be the guy that's going to be, I guess, at the point of attack a little bit more, um, at least in, in, in ball screen actions. Like, could you go out there with Anderson, McDaniels, and Cat and try and stick... Mm-hmm. Uh, try and stick Noel on like an undersized four or a three in the corner, and yeah, have him yeah, try and try develop and hide, those off the ball. Almost D-lo, almost D-lo him from last season. Just hide him on the exactly. least likely guy to kill you. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of trying to minimize the potential. You know, I don't know, uh, 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 bleeding, like the bleeding the, that, that yeah, he the bleeding, can cause yep, yep, uh, the, yep. the defense. Um, sorry, I'm I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, <laughs> well, you start getting a bit flustered when you talk about Jalen. Oh right? my god, I know, man. Um, yeah, I mean, if he can play that that off the ball role, kind of in the corner role, well, um, no one to lift, no one to sink, no one to tag. Uh, those types of things, I think yeah, that would be important because yeah. again, like he played off the ball a lot in that zone at Washington, and you'd think that that would be a little bit of an easier role for him in terms of being able to ro- rely on some of the, you know, some of the the defensive skills the less the physical stuff as well for sure and, and he said yeah, le- like less being bullied and he said he played like the first 20 minutes of all of his workouts he said he worked out every single day this summer and he said the first 20 minutes of every single workout on the court was defense they roll the ball out he'd guard whoever bunch of different situational stuff so yeah I, I think that's a good answer in terms of like there's a world in which he like starts out playing 23 24 minutes a game and is out of the rotation in April or March. Yeah, yeah. And I hope that doesn't... And I hope it doesn't happen also because if you're theoretically... the, I don't think we'll see a lot of five-man bench lineups, but theoretically you've got Jordan McLaughlin, Noel, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, and say one of Gobert or, or Towns. You need that bucket getter For sure. Like, and especially someone that efficient. You don't want... Yeah, you don't want... McLaughlin having to score 12 points a night. You don't want Kyle Anderson or Torian Prince having to handle the ball for 90% of the possessions that you, you're looking to get perimeter scoring from. So, I mean, if, if he can develop a good relationship with Gobert as a, screen, as, as a pick and roll partner, that would be really handy because that's just another feather in his cap for a reason why he should be on the floor. Um, Gobert, like, I mean, I'm, I'll go back to it once more. He's fucking huge, dude. Like, Noel will love his screens. Noel in the mid-range coming off one dribble pull-ups from Joe Bess, you know, high screens, that's money. And that will happen. And he's better Ask than Jordan Conley Clarkson. or Donovan Clarkson. Mitchell in the mid-range. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson is a guy that, like, there is a world where, we're talking about this world where Noel falls out of the rotation. There's a world where he's Jordan Clarkson. And that world is, you know, one with, like, spaceships and, and like, <laughs> floating trains. Is he stuff. dating like, Kendall Jenner in that world? I, if he wants, <laughs> she would be lucky. That was, to that was Jordan Clarkson at one point in time. Um, I think. Like I that's think. in the most imagined, you know, successful world. <laughs> Noel, like for the Timberwolves, uh, that is Noel is like a sixth man of the year candidate because he's so good at scoring the ball and he can survive defensively and survive as a playmaker. And that's a possibility as well, but there is a possibility, like you said, that he's out of the rotation in, in January. Do you think that there's a world in which he is the third leading scorer on the team? Where he scores more than D-Love? Oh, oh. High end? 
Maybe. I mean, where D'Lo is just like averaging ten assists. I think you'd have to. Yeah, but I also think that just because the way D'Lo is wired, it would have to be also because D'Lo is shooting forty percent from the field or thirty nine percent from the field. I think it's going to average. You know, if D'Lo is having a bad season, I think I think Noel's going to average more points a game than. then Gobert. I think Gobert will be the third. I think Gobert will be the third leading scorer on the team. Wow! I think Gobert will probably average. Holy yeah, I think shit. Gobert probably wow. have okay. career high. That's a take. Career high points. I like yeah, it. Maybe like I don't know. I don't know what his career high is. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm looking at maybe like up. 17 to 18, something like that. Because I just think that almost, especially early, I feel like they're gonna. It's gonna be like this new kid on the block, you know, like just give the ball to Gobert. Like, whoa, this is fun. Like this guy's huge and he catches everything and he puts everything back. There's a lot of mid range, you know, there's a lot of guys who shoot jumpers that don't go in, Anthony Edwards and D That sounds harsh, but I just mean they are jump shooters and jump shots inevitably miss, you know, more than fifty percent of the time, usually. So like Gobert, you pointed this out again when you were writing about him and tweeting about him at Eurobasket. Like, he hoovers everything up around the rim. It is like he's going to get so many putbacks that everyone's going to be looking... D'Lo's going to be looking for him because he's going to be so excited to have this lob threat again. I think Ant will look for him because he's new and, you know, Ant loves a new shiny toy. I think Cat will enjoy playing with him because... He's never had a big like him before. I just think, especially early, I could see uh, Gobert averaging like twenty a game for the first month and a, month and a half, you know, and then dropping back off to fourteen or fifteen a game. So, what like, do you think his career averages in points? Six hundred eleven games, nine years. I think accounting for probably one or two seasons early where he was finding his feet, maybe fourteen, thirteen, twelve point four. Career yeah. high. But what has it been the last two seasons, say? Is it 15 or so? Or so. Yeah, about 15. I, I think if you I think you can tack two points onto that per game, and I would feel comfortable with that. 17, 17 Because the most he's ever scored is 15.9, and that was in 2018-19, the year before he made the All-Star team for the first time. Yeah, I'm sticking with my, by my take. I, I like think it. I'm probably like going to be it. proven wrong. I like it. But I, I only think I'll be proven wrong because D'Lo will just shoot more than Gobert <laughs> will. You know what I mean? I like, Gobert just won't. Like, if Ant and Cat drive and two, they have to send two guys at whoever's driving or shit McDaniels. Like, Gobert's just. If Ant finishes at the rim like he finished last season, Gobert's going to get four putbacks a game from Ant. Yeah. Agreed. Like, Agreed. you know what I mean? That's eight points, and he's going to get. He's going he's gonna to score 12 points on shots that are just he didn't even want. You know what I mean? They're just going to fall into his lap. Like, I think that this team is kind of built to maximize Gobert offensively. I agree. And that sounds totally weird because they have, they have more options to score, but I don't know. I just have this feeling that, yeah, like the first month, maybe let's say the first 15 games, Gobert is going to average like 20 and 15. And then he'll just go, and then he'll fade back into, you know, his normal 14 to 15 a game. Yeah, I mean... I'm also just just like a sidebar. This can be another conversation later, but um, just super excited to see what he he looks like like as an offensive hub, playing at the elbows yeah. and as a passer and the way that can activate everybody else. I'd be I'm really ex- like go, Finch seems very invested in trying to grow that part of his game, um, and Rudy kind of subtly made it seem like Utah like that wasn't allowed. Um, but he also can't dribble the basketball like, and I'm talking about. Like two dribbles is an adventure, but even then, you know, like, like you don't have to dribble if you're at the elbow. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, if he's standing at the elbow and the offense is revolving around him, cutters, handoff partners, you know, shooters, flare screens from Towns for D'Lo in the opposite corner, like, that's when I think that Gobert as a hub could work because they're not high-level reads or dribbling the ball. That's just almost standing there and letting, like, like the sun, you know, yeah. like the world is revolving around him. And he just needs to make the right play, which is probably a pretty simple play, but he just needs to do it at the right time. For sure. That could be exciting. Yeah. Should we... Uh... Uh, yeah, give me your season... Give me a season win, you know... Well, because you mentioned points before, who's going to score the most points per game, Ant or Cat? I'm guessing they're the two options. Cat. I think Cat will. Cat? I think Cat's yeah. going to average I, I like think... 28 a game. Hmm. I, I think Ant probably will just because he'll just... Shoot more, Dude, <laughs> you know. Like I, I think he's less less likely to take a backseat I, than Cat. I think, like again, like I, I've I've ridden with Cat for for years and years and years. But like I think, like Ant being that good in the playoffs, almost legitimately underrated Cat in the sense that mm-hmm. like Cat had to work so Cat, hard for his points that now like the and Cat's first game or two, like the play in plus game one of the playoffs. I, I think everyone was just like, all right, well, Cat's not playing well. You know, it didn't really matter what he did after that. Cat, that he, like, he wasn't going to get the respect he deserved. That, like, did average like twenty two and ten? I think. I feel like in the playoffs last year, the first playoff game, Cat was, yeah, Cat was. Fucking good. Cat had 29 and 13 in the first playoff game. Yeah, so it was the second playoff game that he might have had like seven or something. It was the third game. It was the one where they did a big comeback. He had eight. He had Mm. five fouls. Yeah. That was the yeah, one. no, but, I mean, I, I, th- I can if you if someone chose Cat or chose Ant for that question, that I wouldn't, you know, argue yeah, with them. I just way. I trust the consistency and the sample size of Cat. I mean, he's just a monster. Um, but yeah. should we get into right, season so, long? Yeah, so how many wins will the Timberwolves have? What seed will they, you know, finish? And where will they finish the playoffs? Will they? Where will they get kicked out of the playoffs if they get kicked out at all? Wow. Okay, that's a that's a place to end that <laughs> sentence. Um, that's I just that's a clause to throw at the end there. Um, <laughs> all right. So wins. I think the Timberwolves are going to win fifty-eight games. <laughs> you when I told you mine, you acted like I was crazy, crazy high, and then you topped it. Yeah, dude, I don't want to. I didn't want to <laughs> put up. You know, I put up some false appearances there. Like, so for reference, <laughs> all right, fifty-eight. I don't think is out- outrageous. All right, like Utah won fifty-two a couple years ago. Memphis won fifty-six games last year, and John Morant yeah. missed thirty games or something absurd like that. Like Man, they were ridiculously good. That was like their like, roster is weirdly good. Great. Yeah, you know, I think this is mm-hmm. going to be a hungry team. I think this roster is just as good as the, if not better, than Phoenix's roster from last year. And Phoenix won sixty four games. And I think the Timberwolves are uniquely positioned in a, in a sense of like, if there's a night where they don't have Ant, or there's a night where they don't have Cat, D'Lo, Ant, and Gobert, or D'Lo cat and go bear like that's still a really really strong you know nucleus of guys and if you get 20 from noel for sure and and the timberwolves just have such a competent team one they'll have such a competent team one through 15 whereas you know in in years past like the sky is falling if guys 
12 through 15 have to enter the game for any reason. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. like PJ Dozier could be the 15th guy on the team and he's been a rotation guy in Denver the last two years. And Nikola Jokic said that they really missed him in the playoffs last year. Um, I love Dozier. So, you know, most years 58 is the best record in the league. Um, I do think that the Wolves will be the number one seed in the Western Conference um, in large part because they have a candy-ass schedule. Um, the the Timberwolves have, like we've said, the easiest first 10 games of the season. Then games 20 through 30, or 20 through 29, is also the easiest portion of the schedule um, league-wide, at least like on paper to start the season. Um, and then... And then again, you look at games 41 through 50, also the easiest, right? And the worst part of the schedule that they have is games 31 through 40, which is which is the the hardest uh, the hardest strength of schedule in the league. But then, and that's right in the sludge of the season, you know, when yeah. teams are still trying, but everyone's kind of checked out. So, know, like, just hope you'd check, hope yeah. that talent would win. And again, this is based on taking every team's, uh, you know, like. Uh, season win prop from DraftKings on the day the schedule came out and extrapolating that to become a, a win percentage and then averaging it out. Um, and ha- with them having the on-ramp that they do, they're going to get stuff figured out pretty quickly, I think, playing against some of these really bad tanking teams. And not only that, but their starters won't really have to work all that hard in the sense mm. that you know, in some of these games, like their starters might not even sniff the court in the fourth quarter. So they'll. And you know how you want. And if you want to get your bench clicking early, you know how you get them clicking, and that's by them getting 23 minutes a night because you're winning by 30 in the first quarter. 100%. Like, and. Yeah, like if you want to get McLaughlin and Torian Prince and Kyle Anderson acclimated and playing good basketball, they might get that done in the first 10 games. 100%. And then, too, like, when you think about the fact that, like, um, you know, when you think about the fact that the Timberwolves have such a favorable back-to-back schedule, um, too, it's insane. So the Timberwolves play teams on the back end of a back-to-back 15 times this season, like when it's their opponent's back end. And that includes three times against Denver alone. And they Jesus. play teams on the front end 10 times. And those back-end games... Eight of those 15 are at Target Center, too, which is pretty interesting to think about. Um, And then just getting into it more, like, you know, the Timberwolves, too, like, they play better teams on the back end. Like, those 15 back end games, those average win percentage of those teams is 52%. And the average win percentage of the teams on the front end is, like, 49%. So... You know, it's really interesting to think about just how, how lucky this Wolves team gets with the schedule. It's it's backloaded, which is what you'd want for a team that needs some time to figure it out. Um, new pieces, learning how to play with one another. And um, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see how this plays out because I, I think that the deck is stacked pretty perfectly for the Wolves to be right up there at the end of the season as, as the number one team in the West. And... You know, I think because of that, you know, they'll probably play somebody like Portland or, um, you know, maybe a Denver if Denver slips or has some health issues or New Orleans. No, I think New Orleans is going to be like fourth or fifth in the West. 
Um, but but then, Dallas, yeah, like Dallas, for instance, like being able to play Dallas, I think, in the first round or something like that, or Memphis. Um, if Memphis yeah, slips, yeah. um, again, uh, and then I, I think again, they'd be more talented than whoever they would play in the second round. Again, if you're the first seed, and ultimately, I think they're going to lose to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and I think that, um, well, I'll be singing Kumbaya that you know we lost to you know the greatest modern basketball dynasty i guess the last like 10 15 years um and start talking about the finals this time next year happy days uh here i was thinking i was gonna be overly optimistic and feel like uh you know that i'd I'd taken it a step too far and now I feel the opposite. I feel like maybe I'm not optimistic enough because I, again, I, I don't, I won't go as deep into the weeds because I think everything you said there is spot on and I agree with it all. I think they'll win 56 games. Um, I think they'll probably come. I think they'll be the Memphis of of this year, the second seed um, team that surprises, team that maybe a lot of people think how they win 56 games. I think that the Clippers will probably be the one seed. I've got faith in the Clippers' health, which is probably fraught with danger. But I, I think the Clippers will probably be the one seed with, you know, 60 to 65 wins. Um, and I think that the Wolves will, again, same as you, I think they'll they'll get a favorable matchup in round one. I think they'll prove everyone wrong in round two, which is where all the pressure will be. Because I think most people will be expecting them at that point to win a series. Um Gobert, Towns, D'Lo will win in the second round, and it'll be there'll be a lot of uh, receipts being pulled up on on Twitter from from the Wolves fans, and then I think they'll lose in the Western Conference, probably comprehensively as well. If I had to just guess, I think that the Clippers or the Warriors or even Denver, who I have a lot of faith in as well, um, I don't. Might, although might just wax them. Although that's just like retribution for them stealing Bruce Brown. Um, Bruce Brown like might be my favorite player in the NBA. I love that dude. It's just petty, the petty Bruce um, Brown take. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, I love, I love, uh, I love the Warriors. I love the Clippers. Um, I think the Clippers team is going to be a team that load manages quite a bit uh, in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, the Suns are going to be really good as well. Like they're not going. I know they had some dramas uh, in the off season. I don't but know about that. I don't think that. I, I mean. I don't think they're going to lose 20 more games. You know, they might lose 10 more games, and then they're still a 55-win team, 54-win team. 52. Like, 54. 52. 54, you're right. 54, 54. yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? mean? Like, they can have a, a huge drop-off and still be the three-seed. Like, that's how good they were last season. Yeah, but, I mean, they just don't have that fire anymore, though. Like, they're going to trade Jay Crowder here any minute. Like, that's a big loss. Chris Paul is senile. I mean, who knows? I mean, he's stayed healthy. and Yeah, but I wouldn't be... Ba- I mean, I'll be banking on Kawhi to stay healthy over Chris Paul. Yeah, for sure. For you sure. Know, I, I think the I Clippers to. are going to be conservative. Like, I, I think the Clippers are going to be... Like, I think the Clippers wanted to play everybody. Clippers would be the runaway number one seed. And yeah, they were healthy. 65 wins. I think they could win, like, 66, 67 games. Yeah. Just because that team is insanely team. deep. Um. But again, it comes down to like if the Wolves will be able to dominate with two bigs, there's nobody that has anything for that. 
Yeah, and they might get... I, I think they could... It is still a possibility that they win 56 games and get run off the floor in the playoffs just because it just doesn't work as well. But, like, I don't know, man. I just... I have... I'm the opposite. I guess I'm glass half full. Like, I have to see it not work to believe that it won't work rather than thinking it won't work. That's fair. And having to I, see I'm that it will work. Scene, like, but... I, they just have a lot of really good players and they already were good last season and now they got the best defender in the league or uh, rim defender. They're the... And, like, an offensive machine. The way I just... From watching it, he is just, like... He's not the machine. He's like the gears of the machine. You know, yeah. like he, everything worked at, everything worked in Utah because of Rudy. I would have loved to see them keep Donovan Mitchell to get that good, that comparison of how much Rudy bring to that team. We won't see it now because the whole team has gone to shit, but you know, like I, I think that he was really the, the, the straw that stirs the drink when like we were talking about before, Rudy will be that this season and he'll just be huge. This, this team's going to win a shitload of games. It's going to be so good. Yeah, and I think just, like, there's so much better offensively in terms of individual talent than Utah was. Yeah. Like, if Donovan Mitchell had a bad game, they were screwed. I mean, it's it's like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, if you had Carl Anthony Towns on that team. Like, if, I don't think Anthony Edwards is as good as Donovan Mitchell at the moment. Not on an every night basis, but, and like... the playoffs, I mean... Yeah, but there's also Carlton Towns there. That's the difference. The difference is that Carlton Towns is better than both of them. Top 15 you know dude I mean? in the like, league. He's a bad dude. Yeah, like, I don't know, They're man. They're the only team in the league that fun. has three top 25 players. Yeah, and even if you think they're debatable, which I think Cat was probably, you know, too close to one, and Ant was probably too close to one, but, like, even if they're top 35 players, you know, like, if you push them both out to their absolute limit of where they could be placed... Yeah. There's still no one else has that. Yeah. And Chris Finch is a great coach. Chris Finch is why the reason why people think that the Wolves will win 48 games. Because people don't realize that Chris Finch is one of the best coaches in the league. And maybe he won't, you know, maybe he'll prove that he isn't. But again, I need to be proven otherwise. Because last season, well, he I, definitely I was. I just think, like, there's so much, I mean, in, in like, plugging the article that I just wrote, too, like, about Chris Plug Finch. Away. And, like, being the reason that the Wolves are in this position is, like, he has so much – all the players get it, and they respect it. Like, you got someone like Kyle Anderson who took notice of, like, okay, Chris Finch is super legit because I see how his guys play. Mm-hmm. Connected. Mm-hmm. You know, hard for one another. Unselfish. Free-flowing. That type of thing. It's like, I don't think Finch is going to be the reason why they don't get somewhere in the playoffs. I think more likely he'd be the reason why they Dude, did yeah, than, for he, sure. than the reason why he, they didn't. Completely agree. All right, well, that will wrap up the Howls and Growls podcast. Again, change of name, same stuff. You heard it. Um, so good to be back, Jack. So good to spend, you know, an hour and a half talking hoops with you. And, I, I mean, I'd love to do this almost, you know, every weekend if we can or every weekend that you're free. I know you're a busy man. Uh, yeah, um, I'm you know, going on tour here. country flyer, yeah. You're going on tour here in October. But, but you know, I'm always I'm always down. So it's it's great to see you. Great to see your smiling face. Um, it's been it's been such a long time. Um, I know, but, yeah, uh, it's been far too long. Wolves back. We're back. Um, happy days. Yes, man. Absolutely. Can't wait. Can't um, wait to get back. 